0: If you have a Bible, I want you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And I just want to say on the front end, I just love the Lord Jesus. I just love Jesus. I love how He's patient with us, kind and merciful, compassionate. Here's a verse I was thinking about a lot this morning. I want you to listen for two words in the verse, okay? I want you to listen for the words grace, and I want you to listen for the words works, okay? Those are your two words. Those are our words of the day, grace and works. I want you to listen for them from this scripture. This is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you're not in the habit of meditating or memorizing scripture, I encourage you to do it because it just helps. It just helps in life. You know, it's just, uh, uh, that's another sermon for another day. But, but just listen to, to this scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear the word grace? Did you hear the word work or workmanship? You heard it a couple times, right? Which comes first? It's not not a chicken and egg question. Something comes first. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? You're not saved today because you're here in church attendance. You're not saved if you went to Sunday school. I'm not more saved when I get done with this sermon if I preached a good sermon. I'm saved by grace. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's how you are saved. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. And when you understand it's the gift of God, it leads to a whole lot of joy in your life. Because you've been liberated from thinking it's by works. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to think that you're saved by works is absolute drudgery. We'll get to that in just a moment. But when you're saved by grace, when you understand it's a gift of God, it leads to something called joy, J-O-Y, in your life. I mean, when those prison bars go open and you walk out, the result is much joy. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure buried in a field, and in his joy, not in his duty, in his joy, he sold everything that he had to buy the field and have the treasure. Do you treasure Jesus You love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, not because you are made to or compelled to or know you should, but because you know him. To know him is to love him. So what we want to do is proclaim him faithfully and accurately so we can see him and know him and then love him. But the Bible does use that word works, but it uses it after grace. We are not saved by works, but praise God Almighty, we are saved unto works. Another word for works we're going to talk about this morning is the word Jesus is going to use in Luke 6, fruit. Now, how does a tree produce fruit? That's what we want to get after. Because every other faith and religion in the world is a do religion. Christianity is a done religion. Every other faith, religion, and teaching will tell you, you got to go do something. Jesus said, it has already been done. When he was on the cross, he said, it is, what did he say? It is finished. It's by grace you're saved. It's the gift of God, not by works. All right, so we're not saved by works. But now if we are saved by grace through faith, we've received the gift of God, we are now saved unto works. We are his workmanship. A pretty remarkable statement, isn't it? God's workmanship is you. It's us. It's the church. It's it's his workmanship. The, the, The word refers to something that he makes, right? And what God makes, he intends to go into the world to teach other people about him. Do you you know what uh, people who who think they're saved by works teach other people to be saved by works? you know what people who are saved by grace teach other people to be saved by grace? So in Luke chapter 6, I'll tell you what, y'all, if we come at this the wrong angle, this this whole chapter, though it's full of rich truth that could transform Rocky Mount, no doubt, if we come at it the wrong angle, we're in trouble. If we come at it the angle of, here's just some things we've been talking about in Luke 6, one thing we started out is that uh, if you follow Jesus, uh, you in the world, everything that you say is up, the world says is down, and everything the world says is down, you say is up. It's just completely different. It's a whole completely different way of thinking, of acting, of believing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, um, who are hungry now. Blessed are those who weep now, right? In, in the world, those three things, poverty, hunger, and weeping, that we don't want any part of. But Jesus said you're blessed if you do those now because there's coming a time when everything's going to be flipped up on its head. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Are there any any things that the world esteems more than riches, fullness, and laughter? Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Right? Isn't that what we want? We want everybody to speak well of us. But Jesus says, woe. And then he says to love your enemies. And then he says to be merciful. And then he says not to be harshly judgmental about other people, but to forgive Instead of putting the spotlight and focus on the deficiencies and faults of others, he said, you've got to look at your own eye. You've got logs in your own eye, and you see the specks in others. First, remove the log that's in your own eye. Then you can see clearly to, see the, to help other people help other people out. Now, here's how not to go about that text. is to read something like that and then say, now go out and do that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what produces the fruit of the Spirit? It's real obvious, but man, we, we can miss this. You know what produces the fruit of the Spirit? The Spirit. Do you know what does not produce the fruit of the Spirit? The flesh. (laughs) So we're going to talk about fruit, but please hear me, because we take a right right turn on this all the time. The message is not, go be fruitful. The message is, abide in Christ, and you will bear much fruit. And those are two totally different things, okay? So, So as we talk about this, I don't want you to hear from this pulpit Go bear fruit, go bear fruit, go bear fruit. I do want you to hear from this pulpit. Abide in Christ, abide in Christ, abide in Christ. And the result of that is that you will bear much fruit. Check out this plant right in front of me. It looks pretty, doesn't it? Do you know what this plant doesn't need? Water. But it looks pretty, doesn't it? It looks like a real plant, doesn't it? But let me let you in on a little secret. It's not real. It's got no roots. And this isn't necessarily mimicking a fruit-bearing plant, but if it were a fruit-bearing plant, guess what would never come on it? Fruit. Now, what Jesus is getting at in Luke 6, and I do want to be careful, he is saying it's possible to mimic a fruit-bearing plant, to look like one, to, to, to be designed in such a way that it tricks the eye. But then when you start digging in there, you wouldn't actually dig in any dirt because, you know, a fruit fake plant doesn't need a few things, doesn't need any... Water, and it doesn't have any roots. And it is possible to mimic Christianity on the outside. To to say, okay, here's what a Christian does, and here's what I'll do. And there's no life on the inside. What Jesus is saying is, you will bear fruit on the outside because there's life on the inside. And the simple, <laughs> uh, authentic. Off, uh, uh, I'll get it out in a second. Just bear with me. We're not saved by being um, uh, eloquent. Praise the Lord. The 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 way that you know somebody's real is the fruit comes on the outside because there is life on the inside. Another way of putting it, if there's life on the inside, it will show up with fruit on the outside. Okay, we've said it enough. Uh, I think we got the point across. So let's go to Luke chapter 6. I want you to know that when you read the words in red in the scripture, you are reading the words of somebody who loves you to eternity and back. You're reading the words of someone who paid your sin debt if you'll believe in him. You're reading the words of someone who laid down his life for you. That's who's speaking in Luke 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good measure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i tell you everyone who comes to me and bears my words and does them excuse me hears my words and does them i will show you what he's like he's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the string broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was very great. Let's pray together and then think on these things. Father, we need your help because at every turn in our life as believers, we are, we are tempted with deception, with, untru- with, with, with false teaching. And so Father, help us to understand faithfully and accurately the words of our Savior. Help us to know that these are words coming from someone who loves us who laid down his life for us, who, who lives evermore to make intercession for us. Help us to know that these are the words from a man who could not do any more for us than what he has done for us. Guard us from error. Help us to proclaim a Christ-centered gospel faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if you want to go by titles of sermons... My title is Facts About Fruit, and I've got four facts, okay? So we're just going to say them. It's a straightforward passage of Scripture, so it's going to be a straightforward sermon, right? Fact number one about fruit is fruit defines the tree. Fruit defines the tree. How do you know a fig tree is a fig tree? It's pretty simple, right? Because it produces figs. How do you know it's a fig tree and not an apple tree? Because there's not apples coming out, right? That's what Jesus says. Read his words. Each tree is known by its own fruit. So just as it would be foolish to insist an apple tree is an apple tree when figs are coming out, so it would be foolish to insist a person is a follower of Jesus when there is no Christ-like fruit, right? That's pretty simple, isn't it? You know a tree by its own fruit. J.C. Ryle is an author from the 19th century, is is a preacher that I love to read, and he put it pretty simply and straightforward, so I copied down what he said. J.C. Ryle says, let it be a settled principle that a man brings forth no fruits of the Spirit unless he has the Holy Ghost within him. Let us resist a deadly error, the common idea that all baptized people are born again, that all members of the church, as a matter of course, have the Holy Ghost. One simple question must be our rule. What fruit does a man bring forth? Does he repent? Does he believe with the heart of on, with the heart on Jesus? Does he live a holy life? Does he overcome the world? Habits like these are what Scripture calls fruit. When these fruits are wanting, it is profane to talk of a man having the Spirit of God within him. So hold your space spot there in Luke 6 and go with me to a very helpful chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? Romans chapter 8. Well, the thought on memorizing scripture, if you don't know where to start, start with Romans 8. Memorize the whole chapter. See, I can't do that. Yes, you can. If someone was going to give you a million dollars, would, re- would you memorize Romans 8? You'd have it down by sundown, wouldn't you? It's worth more than a million dollars, I'm telling you. It's much more valuable than that starts with that great statement, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, the, but, but, but we want to get down to verse number 9 because we want to define these uh, issues of salvation biblically. So, so look with me in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so just hang with me. He's going to make a distinction throughout this whole chapter between two ways of living. By the way, there are only two ways of living. There are only two paths. There's not a dozen. There's two. The Bible talks about them all the time in different ways. Light and darkness. Truth and error. Here it's going to be flesh and spirit. How you're born and then how you're born again. Death and life. However way you want to articulate it, but it's always just two. So the flesh, that's how you're born. When you were born, the day you were born, you were born into the flesh. We're all born sinners by nature, right? Nobody back there in the nursery has to teach those children to be selfish. They came fully equipped, right? And so did we. So are we. We're born into the flesh. That's why Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, you, to enter the kingdom of heaven, must be born again. We were born into the flesh, and when, you're, when you live according to the flesh, you set your mind according to the flesh. That means what you think about, what you, what you prioritize, what you treasure are things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? Well, it's the things that we have natural inclinations to. Money, wealth, fame, lust. You just name it, right? That's the things of the flesh. We'll, we'll define it more accurately in, in just a little bit because there's a passage of Scripture that basically says here's the fruit of the flesh and here's the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to get to that in Galatians chapter 5, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But but stick with me here. There's a main point I'm trying to make. So verse 6 Here's a warning. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Okay, if you have a mind set on the flesh, even what we're doing right now, you want it to end right now. To do something like open up the Bible and look at Romans 8. There's a thousand other things you would rather do than study Romans 8 because you got a mind set on the flesh. It's hostile to God. You know what the word hostile means, right? It means you don't know. It's not just you're... uh, uh, passive about it. It's like you're violently opposed to it. You say, surely nobody who's hostile to God would come to church. Oh, yes, they would. Sure they would. We'll get to why in, in in a little bit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what does it say? It cannot. The Bible has absolutely no expectation that those who do not have the Spirit of God will bear the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible has absolutely no expectation that those who do not follow Jesus will live godly lives. Why? It's not just that they do not. What's the Bible say? It's that they cannot. So we need to keep this in mind to guard us from a culture of complaining about unbelievers. Uh, can you believe? No. The Bible says they don't submit to God's law. They're hostile to it. They, they don't submit, and indeed, they cannot. But here's the important distinction. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, so, wow, that was a whole lot. What What are we talking about here? It's real simple. The mark of a follower of Jesus is that they have the spirit of Jesus in them. There is no expectation from Jesus that you will obey his teachings apart from his spirit living inside of you. So if you're a believer in Jesus, Ephesians 1, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That's straight scripture. So the authentic mark of a follower of Jesus is the spirit of God living in them. Did we all hear it? Right. And where do we get it? From the scripture, because we use all sorts of phrases and so on and so forth. If you're, if you believe you're a believer in Jesus, let me ask you the question, how do you know that you're a believer of Jesus? Because we use all sorts of phrases. We use phrases like, I walk down the aisle. That's all good. Walk down the aisle. It's a great thing to do. Do you have the spirit of Jesus? I was baptized. Praise the Lord we saw baptism today. But baptism is an outward picture of an inward transformation. Right, it's just showing up on the outside. The great danger for us is to try to make it show up on the outside when it hasn't happened on the inside. So that's what he's saying. If you're in the flesh, if all you got is the flesh, you've got no spirit, now, now let's, let's take a step back here. Take a step back and hang with me. When you're born, you're born into what the Bible's calling the flesh. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. But where's the flesh? Still in you. And now you've, got a, now you've got a holy battle going on inside of you between the flesh and the Spirit. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, this full teaching of Scripture, and we can stay in Romans 8, we have to go no further, is that if you're a believer in Jesus... Over the course of time, that spirit is going to overcome that flesh. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen, oh, the spirit of God came and now I don't ever get mad again. Now I don't lust anymore. I don't get jealous. I don't know. No, no, no. But here, here's Romans 8. By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. This is your life if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're not a believer, all you got is flesh. And there's really no inward turmoil going on. Now, if you got the spirit, and I want you to see what Paul says, it's not a It's not a shallow, weak, ho-hum spirit. It's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the spirit that's now in you. So we're not talking about weak, you know, some sort of, I don't know what the adjective to use is. It's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Question, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive in you? You say, I think so. How do you know? Well, let's keep reading. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Guess what, Christian? You don't have to live according to the flesh anymore. You've been liberated from it. You don't have to be entertained anymore by what entertains the world. You you don't have to give your attention, your focus, your energy, what everybody else is talking about. You know what one of the great statements a Christian can make? I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see it last night on television. I I don't know what's going on. Not that you're existing in the world uh, as some sort of weirdo, But you're a citizen of another kingdom. And now you're in the world, but as they say, not of the world. And as I like what Edward, or or, um, um, I can't think of his first name, Lutzer from Chicago says, uh, the church should be in the world as a ship is in the ocean. Yeah, we're, we're, We're in it, but if we take too much water on, we're sink. So we're not debtors. You don't owe the flesh anything. All it was given you was death. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Well, there you go. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How do you know? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. There's this unmistakable testimony of the Spirit of God in you. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. I purchased you. Now, here's another marker. You put to death the deeds of the body by, not the flesh, but by the spirit. So let me liberate us from the cycle that many of us are called up in. We are attempting to put to death the deeds of the body by the body. Has this ever happened to you? Here's a habitual sin in my life, and I'm going to put it to death. And you you muster up your strength, your willpower, your effort. And you say, I'm never going to do that again. Never going to look at that again. Never going to participate in that again. And that lasts about 24 hours. And then you're right back in it. Some of us, we can can chart that cycle not over the weeks, over the years. The years. And you've never had consistent victory over that sin in your life. Why not? Because it's not by the flesh you put to death the flesh, it's by the spirit you put to death. So let me give you a way that this plays out. It's always tricky when you choose a sin. (laughs) Because then everybody who doesn't it tempted by that sin, feels like they're off the hook, and I'm not trying to put you on the hook. You understand what I'm saying. But how do you overcome lust? We'll just take that one because that's a big one. So many men and women, by the way, overcome by lust. So, for example, how does a man sit at a computer screen and not click here when it says, click here? How do you do that? By willpower? Well, willpower can help, but here's how it happens. The Spirit of God in you. And the Spirit of God is saying, there's something a lot better than that. You know, a clean conscience, it is more to be desired than a lustful thought. You want us to like to go to bed at night and lay your head on the pillow and say, oh, Lord, I was obedient to you today. Now, if, you, if you're his child, you know what I'm talking about. If you're just trying to bear the fruit on the outside, you don't know what we're talking about yet because, because it's treasure we're talking about. theres I'll give you the best example. You remember Joseph in Genesis Potiphar's wife comes to him day after day after day after day after day. day, Wanting to have a lustful, adulterous relationship. And here's what Joseph said. How could I do this? How could I do this? We might get caught. It's not what he said. It's not what he said. Fear of getting caught won't help you overcome the sin. You know what helps you overcome? Here's what Joseph did say. How could I do this in sin against my God? He's saying there's something better. Here's an example. Potiphar's wife is offering him moldy bread. God's offering him a juicy steak. Which would you choose? You choose a steak. That's how you put to death the deeds of the body, because you've seen something better. And I'll tell you this: when you believe the gospel, uh, the, the the things of earth will go strangely dim. You remember that song or that that hymn? That's exactly true. Oh, I'm living by the I'm living by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, the things of the flesh aren't so appealing. But I'll tell you, until you have the Spirit of God in you, it does seem like the flesh is so appealing. So fruit defines the tree. That's our first fact about fruit. There are two ways, the flesh and the Spirit. You set your mind on your way of life. I find that fascinating that he talks in terms of treasure, good and evil. But in the flesh, you have a treasure. And it looks a little bit different to, to everybody, whatever your treasure is. It's ultimately what, what he's getting at is what you worship, right? He says it in this way in Matthew 7, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? So a simple question, what's your heart set on today? What's your heart really set on? Ask it, a, ask it another way. We're just asking probing questions because the scripture's asking probing questions, right? What's in your life, if it was taken from you, would make life seem meaningless? It might not be a, quote, bad thing, It might be a good thing. But he says the the good person out of the good treasure produces good. It's the word of God that's bursting forth in life and, and the result of that is fruit. Now again, here's the great danger. The great danger is that we take the Bible and we think the admonition is go bear fruit. And that's not what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. See, see, fruit bearing is a result. It's not a, uh, it's not a command so much as what happens when you obey the commands. Does that make sense? I could go and get a couple of figs and just tie on this. Just tie it on there, right? But there's no root. And where there's no root, not to be too cute with the phrase, where there's no root, there's no fruit, right? So, backing up. If the mark of authenticity in your life as a Christian is the Spirit of God dwells in you, doesn't it stand to reason, just hang with me, that the Spirit of God who inspired the Word of God is going to use the Word of God to make you more like the Son of God. That's the Spirit's Spirit's goal, if we can use it that way. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us more like the Son of God. Do not, please hear me, do not believe Christianity is be more like the Son of God apart from the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to make you more like the Son of God. So, I think it stands to reason to say if the Spirit of God, the mighty Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, it's going to show up on the outside. The the guard teaching is, don't try to manipulate it, you just stand in the soil and He will produce it. So number one, you know a tree by the fruit. So you want to be very careful in saying, I'm a Christian, when there's no Christian fruit in your life. Then you want to be very careful on the side of that from saying, okay, I'll start bearing Christian fruit. That makes me a Christian. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God bears the fruit of the Spirit. So, so one, fruit defines the tree. Secondly, fruit refers to our conduct and our conversation. What he says here, verse, into verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. With well, that whole verse there, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Simply put, whatever's on the inside shows up on the outside. Now, you can kind of curtail it and try to control it and so on and so forth for a time, for a season, but ultimately, whatever's on the inside shows up on the outside. If the Spirit of God is on the inside, Spirit, fruit of the spirit's going to show up on the outside. If it's nothing but flesh on the inside, flesh is going to show up on the outside. Fruit refers to our conduct and our conversation. Conduct, conversation, that's what's on the outside, but it has a direct link with what's on the inside. So let me give you an example. Here's something our church purposes to do. My hope with Billy Graham. Let me just give you this as an example. Here's the bad way to do this. Here's the bad way to do this is for me to stand up here and tell you, guilt you all into participating in my hope with Billy Graham. And it's not hard to do, is it? You just ask a few things, you know, don't you care about lost people and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden you start feeling weighed down. Well, I should participate. I mean, my hope with Billy Graham is something that I should do. And I'll tell you that you need to show up today at 430 to be there because we're going to do the training. And and people who don't know the gospel, they're going to go to hell. Right? Now, truthfully speaking, everything I've said is, well, it's actually true. But if we seek to be obedient to the Lord without the spirit of God inside of us, that's a dangerous game. You know what happens? There's no power in the church. And now we're all just doing things because we feel like we're supposed to instead of joyfully obeying because we get to. Now, listen, I'm not using reverse psychology on you this morning. And what I'm ultimately really trying to get you to do is participate in my hope with Billy Grant. That's not, that's not what this is about at all. That's not what this is about at all. Here's how it works. Prayerfully, and so you know my heart, as a pastor, I want lost people to hear the gospel. I want to go to Honduras and dig the well and he proclaimed it. Want, I want people to hear the gospel. But I don't want you to feel like I'm twisting your arm to do it. I, you know it's a louder testimony besides me standing by hand here. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his child. And I'll tell you what, when the spirit of God grabs hold of your life and he says, here's what we should do, that's a much better fruit-bearing enterprise than me saying, here's what we should, you know what I'm saying? So, here's what can happen. If you just feel guilted into doing My Hope with Billy Graham, there people will come and knock on your door and you'll open the door feeling like you got to. You know what I'm saying? And the Spirit of God. See, these, these things are so difficult to talk about without falling into the trap that we're talking about not falling into, isn't it? At every turn we go, they are the enemy seeking prowl. Like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. (laughs) When the Spirit of God comes, then you will be my witnesses. That's Acts. That's the scripture. You know what a dangerous game to play is? Let's go be his witnesses when we don't have the Spirit of God. Fruit refers to our conduct in our conversation. Number three, hang with me. Two more. Two more facts about fruit. Number three, number three, fruit cannot be created, but it can be cultivated. Fruit cannot be created, but it can be cultivated. Again, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and the only way the fruit of the Spirit can be produced is by the Spirit. Now this is when I want you to turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Everybody all right? All right. Galatians chapter 5. Hey, I love verse 16, so let's start there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see it? We've been taught too long been taught too long don't gratify the desires of the flesh don't gratify the desires of the flesh don't gratify the desires of the flesh and too little walk by the spirit walk by the spirit walk by the spirit do you see that not gratifying the desires of the flesh is a result it's a result and not a command you see that but too often in, in in Christian circles we're just told don't gratify the desires of the flesh how do you not gratify the desires of the flesh by walking by the spirit spirit of God dwelling in you opening your eyes to better things to more glorious things to, to to things that you desire more than the desires of the flesh why verse 17 the desires of the flesh are against the spirit if you have a desire of the flesh that wells up in you and you have no spirit saying that we ought to subdue that there's a you just got to follow logically there there may be a likelihood that there's no spirit inside of you you know what i'm saying okay For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Wow, there's a huge marker of the Spirit of God dwelling in you. He's just said it. Did you hear it? Don't gratify the desires of the flesh because those are now no longer the things you want to do. Do you want to pray? Do you want to witness, share the gospel? Again, hear me. I'm not telling you to do these things so that you'll be saved. You do these things because you are saved. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, okay? Here are the desires of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I think we just read off the fall network television programming, didn't we? These are the things of the flesh coming to you live and in high definition I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let that soberly sink in with us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and against these things there is no law now (laughs) the message is not go love everybody and always be joyful the message is these are the fruit of the spirit and the third thing that we're getting at this the fruit cannot be created but it can be cultivated and the best example for it is well well fruit right I love what the Puritans would say. They'd say, when a farm, farmer prays for a good harvest, the Lord expects him to say amen with a shovel in his hands, right? So let's get two pictures real quick that that, that are metaphors for how not to do it. Number one, if a farmer wants, uh, say, say, uh, say a harvest of pumpkins, it's about to be pumpkin time, right? Uh, not we love the fall? Well, if he wants pumpkins, he's got to, plant pumpkin seeds, right? (laughs) I mean, it's obvious. But then once he plants them, he doesn't just sit on his rocking chair and look at the field and say, all right, Lord, bring the harvest. I don't think so. He's got to go out there and weed, cultivate, get that shovel in the ground or that John Deere tractor, right? Plow up that land uh, Guard it from um, insects and, and, and other things that are coming along and, and get the fruit. And he's day after day after day, diligent, faithful, hardworking. There's some things that only he can do. And then there is some limitations. He's still got to rely on the Lord to bring the rain, right? To bring the seed. All those sorts of things. So that's a, that's a pretty accurate picture of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. There's things only the Lord does. One is the seed of the gospel, right? Uh, that's his. But there's some things that we can cultivate to bear this fruit in our lives now two pictures of foolishness one is the farmer who plants the seed and then does nothing it says come on harvest and then the other is that hard working diligent uh, farmer who's on the tractor digging weeding but there's never been a seed put in the ground that's legalism that, that that's a picture of somebody who's trying to bear the fruit without the seed you see how both are foolish the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Now he's not. It's not like the Beatles song. All we need is love. And that's the second time in three weeks I've quoted that song. Well, let's just put that one to bed. No more Beatles songs. No, no. The Spirit of God's come and dwelled in you. He's going to produce love, and joy, and peace. Um. Turn with me. We got about three minutes left. One more passage of scripture. Or actually, two more. <laughs> Further, the Spirit is patience. Philippians chapter two, verse twelve. I told you the little metaphor of the farmer. Here's a scriptural way of understanding it, right? I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to ask a question. Who's doing the working, okay? Who's doing the working? You answer that question. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> who works? Is it you or God? Let's read it again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who's doing the working? Well, that's you. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God. uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a trick question, right? It goes back to the farmer and the harvest. Who does the work? Well, the farmer does and God does. So fruit cannot be created could just burst it forth but it can be can be cultivated and number four and finally we've made three statements about fruit one fruit defines the tree two, refruit, fruit fruit refers to our conduct in our conversation three (laughs) i gotta get that word out fruit cannot be created but it can be cultivated and number four real simply fruit results from obedience back in luke 6 so we finished where we started verse 46 why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i tell you that immediately brings to my mind matthew 7 on that day many will say to me lord lord and he will say to me depart from me i never knew you that's the that's the fake plant that thought they were the real thing and then the day reveals that they were never the real thing there was never any there was never any root there was never any fruit and they they thought the day was going to come and they're going to go to heaven and Jesus says, no, that's not so. Why do you call me? It's a good question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? The Holy Spirit, if he's dwelling in you, he wills and works the will of God for your life. In in you. Uh, Again, it's kind of these both-and things. He's given you the work to desire to do it and then the ability to do it. So, It's possible to know what God said we should do and not do it. But when the Spirit of God comes in, the doing begins. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So I just want you to see what Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Because the danger is that we know what he said and not do it. The danger is that we know he said love your enemies, but we don't love our enemies. The danger is that we know he says, judge not that you be not judged, but we still go around judging and being harsh and critical. The danger is that we even know that he says we ought to bear fruit, <laughs> but then there's no fruit. And then we just idly go through life and then the day reveals it. Re- fruit results from obedience. And then he gives this simple illustration. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word, words and does them. So he's making it really clear. about knowing his words and doing them i will show you what he's like he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when the flood arose the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built but the one who hears and does not do them it's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation when the streams broke against it immediately it fell and the ruin of it was great the distinction between the believer and the unbeliever is not whether the flood comes or not the flood comes in both cases The distinction is whether the house stood or not. Now, I wouldn't know the first thing about building a house. But I know enough to know (laughs) it would be just about impossible to build a house if the architect had multiple blueprints. You know what I'm saying? I mean, can you imagine what a catastrophe that would be? Architect number one shows up with a set of blueprints, and then there's a second architect, and he comes in, and they start building the house. That would just be catastrophe, right? When the Spirit of God dwells in you, there's just one set of blueprints. And the blueprints are we're going to conform him to the image of the Lord Jesus. That's our building plan. That's what we're going to do. The result of that is there's going to be fruit, okay? There is going to be fruit. So we got to throw out the blueprints that said get the fruit first. No, not fruit first. Belief first. Spirit of God first. The result of that is fruit. So there are two sets of prints for your life, by the way. Two sets of prints for your life. The flesh architect got his set of prints and he read about it, right? Sexual immorality and all those, all the stuff that Galatians 5 says. And that's the flesh blueprint for your life. And then there's a second set of prints. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. To get these sets of prints is extremely costly. The price of it is the blood of Jesus. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins to purchase our redemption to get this new set of plans these new blueprints with this new foundation in order to build the new house that's going to be on the rock we got to tear down the old one and that's what the spirit of god's come to do so it's a (laughs) it's a glorious work of god that he's he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son So let me wrap up so much more that could be said, but we'll stop here. Jesus does not say, go and bear much fruit. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. If we try to skip the abide in me part and jump straight into the fruit bearing, that's futility. And not just futile, according to Luke 6, it's eternally dangerous. So... Let's stand together. We're going to pray together. Hey, here's all I've tried to do today. to open up God's word and to share with you precisely what it says. So here's our response. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's Paul getting at? Examine yourself to see if you're really saved. Are you really a child of God. How do you know? His spirit, bearing witness with my spirit that I am his child. And while I've been purchased and redeemed and know Jesus, the result of that is I begin to bear fruit. Every child of God bears fruit. Some more than others. Billy Graham, cartload of figs, you know, truckloads. We don't all bear the same amount of fruit, but we do all bear fruit. So I want you to pray with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Father, convince us emphatically that these are not things we will produce. By our own strength, by our own willpower, by our own trying harder and doing more. We thank you that we have been rescued from the thought process of trying harder and doing more. Jesus said, it's done. It's finished. But now that we have given the blessed privilege and opportunity of being in Christ Jesus... We have your Spirit inside of us. This is straight from Romans 8, straight from the Word of God. So, Father, give us endurance as we wrestle between the flesh and the Spirit, knowing that in this lifetime, this is a a combat that's going on in our hearts. I pray that you would continually sanctify us by your grace, that what the Spirit desires becomes increasingly more our desire. That we're not made perfect overnight, but we are being perfected by your grace, by your spirit. So, Father, help us not leave with a mentality of, i got to go bear more fruit. Help us to leave with the mentality that we have been saved by the grace of God. And not only has our sin debt been eradicated by the grace of God, you've given us the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead to dwell in us so that now we put to death the deeds of the body and we can live. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What we're asking for, Lord Jesus, is that we could live, we could be alive in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.